journey to Fantastica, where dreams become reality. This week on the podcast, The Never-Ending Story by Michael End, Part 1. Welcome, guys, to part two of part one of Never Ending Story. Um, we ended up talking a really long time about this book, and so we decided to break it up into four parts. So, And I don't um, even feel like we touched on everything that I no, wanted to. So. Definitely not. So I hope you're in for this long, never-ending, never-ending <laughs> podcast story ride, um, because we, we went deep, and here it is. Chapter 8 is called The Wind Giants. I was kind of bored with this chapter, This honestly. chapter is very boring. Okay, good. I'm I can understand so why <laughs> they got rid of it in the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they, kinda, st- they hinted at it. They showed they clothes with they just different colors. Talking. Yeah. They weren't talking. And they were s- swirling, swirling around. And, I mean, it gets to the same place, which is yeah. all that's important. But the uh, image at the beginning of this chapter shows the four wind giants, and it shows uh, Falcor and Atreyu in the middle of them. And so they're flying, trying to find the border of Fantastica because they didn't listen. So they could travel to the other world because they didn't listen. listen. Well, now, Falcor yeah. Yeah. has he, an excellent idea. Yeah. Voice of reason. I'm like, uh. <laughs> he basically. He's got it. He's like, hey, master, uh, I think we should turn back and go towards the ivory tower. And Trey's like, why? And he's like, well, because our mission was to find out what could cure her. Right. And we have. Exactly. So now let's go tell her. Exactly. And maybe she has a way to contact. Hello. Yes. Perfect. And Trey's like, okay, maybe, but like, let's go for like another hour. And that hour was one hour too many, as the book clearly states. So they keep going and a storm starts raging. Falcor explains that this is the four wind giants who are like wind giants that battle all the time to see who's the strongest. And so they create storms. Right. And, he, and Atreyu thinks that he's going to get any information out of them. And Falcor's yeah. like, uh, they're kind of dumb. Yeah. And they just want to fight. Yeah. So. so probably not. <laughs> not. But he's like, no, I'm going to ask them if they know where the border is. Because, you know, they would know, right? They don't know. <laughs> they don't. No. He he does ask them and they're like, yeah. Well, one of them says that Fantastica has no borders. Right. So I guess they know that. Yes. So there you go. I guess that's helpful. But, Help. like, yeah. you could have gone back to. However... Where he ends up in the next chapter is so important. So. Yeah, true. And it's all part of the story. Yeah, so it's, so it's, it's, it's got to happen this way. So, yeah, they do tell him that there's no borders. and uh, Because, obviously, our imagination has no borders. Oh, that's right. Duh. No end. No end. So they start fighting full force, which knocks Atreyu off of Falcor's back. And he awakes on a beach. They do mention, and I like this, and I kind of wish they'd gone into more detail, that Atreyu, when he wakes up on the beach, he has, like, vague memories of, like, uh, water nymphs, like, carrying him to the surface. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I want to know that about been the cool. water nymphs. Yeah. They're, they're, he says that he just remembers voices being like, oh, save the child, or whatever. But wait, that's all we know. Yeah. Um, but he notices that Orin is gone. Right. Big, big bad news. Why would the sea nymphs save him without the Orin? I guess they're nice. They don't drown yeah, people. Yeah, probably. Maybe they're nice nymphs. Not okay. all nymphs are evil, I guess. But uh, Falcor's nowhere to be seen. The Orin is gone. He is feeling dismal. Hopeless. Um, yep. He finds a road and he follows it. 
and he comes across a procession of ghosts, vampires, and kobolds that are all dancing and playing music in a grotesque fashion. The procession had broken up and the spooks were scattered over a large muddy field interspersed with gray grass. Some swayed from side to side, others stood or sat motionless, but in all their eyes there was a feverish glow, and they were all looking in the same direction. Then Atreyu saw what they were staring at in fascinated horror. On the far side of the field lay the nothing. It was the selfsame nothing that he had seen in the Bark Troll's treetop, or on the plain where the magic gates of the Southern Oracle had stood, or looking down from Falcor's back. But... Until then, he had always seen it from a distance. This time, it was close by. It cut across the entire landscape and was coming slowly but irresistibly closer. Atreus saw that the spooks in the field ahead of him were twitching and quivering. Their limbs were convulsed and their mouths were wide open, as though they had wanted to scream or laugh, though not a sound came out from them. And then, all at once, like leaves driven by a gust of wind, they rushed towards the nothing. They leapt, they rolled, and they flung themselves into it. I'm really glad they cut this out of the movie because that would have scared the bejesus out of me. Man, as a kid. I hope when they remake oh. it that they include oh, that. Oh no! It's so... I mean, even as an adult, and I'm reading, I'm like, that sounds disgusting. I do not want to see what that looks like. I do. Ugh. It's horrifying, but that's it why is. it's so good. Ugh. No. <laughs> well, I, I did want to point out something that Bastion thinks on page oh one thirteen. Okay. Um, nonsense. There's no such thing as ghosts. Everyone knows that. But then why are there so many stories about them? Maybe all the people who say ghosts don't exist are just afraid to admit that they do. I'm not afraid, Emma. I want to see a ghost. <laughs> but you don't believe that they exist. Because I haven't seen one. All right. I, I want to believe. I want to believe. Ghosts come to me. I mean, I went to a haunted hotel. And you didn't experience anything. No. Stuart claims he experienced <gasps> some stuff. Really? Yeah. He... He claims that, like, he saw a light out of the window that couldn't have been there. <gasps> oh, God. And also there was, like, a, some situation where, and I'm sure this is just, this, this just him. Come on. This is silly. See? You don't want to believe. <laughs> because it's silly and it can be explained. I didn't see the light, so I can't speak yeah. to that. But there was a situation where I had my sweater with me, and we walked out the door, and as we're outside, uh, or we're like out doing other things, I'm like, where's my sweater? Did I leave it in the restaurant? But then we get home and the sweater's on the bed. <gasps> and Stuart's like, you definitely had that sweater with you. And I'm like, I oh must have God. just I must have just left no! it. No! <laughs> Why would ghost. the ghost want my sweater to be there? I don't know. <laughs> Stuart swears that I had the sweater. Stuart doesn't lie about things. <laughs> I think that I just forgot the stupid sweater. Okay. All Whatever. right, all right. Anyway. Anyway, I feel like this I feel like this place is your place. Um yes, you, you great. Would, if, so if we traveled to Fantastica and we were searching for Airbnbs, you this would is look where at, I'd want to stay. Yes. All right, hang on. Um at, at the end of this chapter we just see the like the procession of people and being and he just describes them as being grotesque and like dancing to strange music and Which, that's, that's pretty much it. But he he tries to avoid them because he's like, "Oh, I don't have the orn anymore. These people could do anything to me." Right. You know, so he kind of like watches them from the side while he goes into the city. So now chapter 9 is called Spook City and this yes. is the coolest chapter of this half of the book. It's so good. It is great. So he enters the city, which is like a Halloween dream. Yep. Like they talk about how it's full of like haunted castles and like spindly towers. I would not be staying here. I I would would visit. I would visit you for a day 
And then I would go back to... I want to live in a haunted castle. <laughs> I'd go back to uh, the place where, like, the people make rainbow glass Oh, things. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was one of they my They do favorites. describe a lot of places yeah. uh, that we haven't talked about. But, but it's just world building, I yeah, feel like. it's great. So while moving through the deserted city, Atreyu hears a miserable wail. He follows the sound, and he finds a half-starved wolf chained up. We all know that this is Gamork. Yes. Um, those of us who have seen the movie. But unlike the movie, he is he's chained. You know, he I don't think in the movie he he was just sitting. He was just chilling in he, a cave. Yeah, he was uh so Atreyu ends up in this like building that has paintings of yes. everything that's happened so far in the movie. Which, which happens later in the book. Oh, okay, cool. That part happens later. And Gamork is just kinda like hiding out yeah. in this hole. Well, the nothing's coming. Yeah. So I guess he's like chilling, waiting. waiting. He's waiting yeah. for the nothing to get him. Which, you know, Gamork scared the crap out of me as a kid. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't think I was scared. Ooh. And the way his mouth moves, like yeah. the puppet and the animatronics. His like lips are totally not connected to his face. It just there's it like, adds to the terror. There's a behind the scenes video that I saw somewhere where it shows like the puppeteers oh, cool. with it. It's pretty. It's always cool to see that yeah, kind of stuff. Yes, it is. Anyway, so the wolf introduces himself as Gamork the werewolf. Um, Atreyu wants to set the wolf free, but, you know, uh, aside from being dumb, because he's like, why would you set free a half-starved werewolf? I would just eat you. <laughs> um, Which Atreyu's, is nice of him to be very honest about it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. And not try to trick him. But Atreyu's like, well, maybe I could find you something else to eat. But he's like, it doesn't matter whether you want to or not, because it's a magic chain. The, the yes. dark princess Gaia put it on him and it can only be removed by her yes but she is no longer is no longer because she has thrown herself into the nothing mm -hmm. gamork explains that the woman who put the chains on him leapt into the nothing like everybody else mm -hmm. and that that's probably what atreya will end up doing because he won't be able to resist the pull of it for much longer he definitely won't without the Orin. nope so gamork also shares that he is not a creature of fantastica but he's also not a creature of the other world because yeah. he's kind of like an in-between. I'm not sure. I liked this part. I so thought it was really interesting. This, this is where it starts to get kind of deep. Yes. Because he explains that he is a servant of what they only refer to as the manipulators. manipulators. Yeah. Who see, seek to destroy Fantastica or seek to destroy imagination. I do wonder... If Gamork symbolizes something more, because like clearly the manipulators are you know Nazis or whoever, um, and he's one that can go in between. What is he? I kind of felt like he reminded me. Okay, oh, I feel so uneducated talking about this <laughs> stuff, but I got the sense of um, I really want to. I really want to go back to school and, and major in whatever I have to in order to like talk about this stuff and really research it. But he reminds me of the snake in the garden. He is the knowledge. It's not necessarily good or bad knowledge, but it is knowledge that the hero has to get. And usually it's from a source that seems like it's bad. You know, we all attribute snakes to being bad things, but it's right. It's the knowledge he's giving him. Yeah, maybe, because he is the one who kind of explains everything to him. Yeah. I guess I could see it that way. I, I don't remember reading... I don't, And I know he says that he works for the manipulators, yeah. but I kind of feel like... I mean, to me, he's in some ways, he seems like a neutral party. I know he's not really... That's why I'm wondering if there's like, more to it. Like, if he is just a tool of the manipulators, what is that tool? Like, I guess it, I guess it could be 
knowledge. It could be like, this is reality. I don't think the manipulators know that he's doing this. No, as they far sent as like him. To give the, they sent him to kill a trainee, yes. but not to give the knowledge. No, no, no. They didn't. No. Yeah. I think his, yes, his, his use was to get rid of, get rid of the savior, get yes. rid of what's going to save Fantastica. Yeah. But really what his important mission is to the reader and, and to a trait is, is giving him that knowledge. Yeah, maybe. So to I me, to he kind of reminded me of like the, analyses. the, the snake in the, in the garden. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember reading anything in any of the essays I read that talked about what he symbolized oh my god i would spend i i mean yeah i'm sure it's out there i gotta go back (laughs) actually the rest of the essay that i referred to at the beginning of the episode might actually have talked about it and i just don't remember i don't know but he's definitely you know he's the one that was sent to destroy atreyu of course at this point he doesn't know he's atreyu oh yeah that's right because atreyu has for no has atreyu forgotten his name or he chose he he chose to introduce himself as nobody. nobody I don't know why. Maybe because he feels now without the Orin that he's no longer a hero. Right. I guess. Yeah. But like, that I think seems he like did a reference that. Answer. It seems kind of whatever. I think well, I feel like that was like it worked a, in his favor. a device. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a device so that, you know, Gamork would share all this information with right. him. Because I don't think he would have no. had he known he were Atreyu. Anyway, um, Atreyu asks if Gamork knows, you know, how to get to the other world. And he says, you have to jump into the nothing. Mm-hmm. And Atreyu is ready to do it. He's like super ready. He's like, okay, well, I'm just going to do it. And he's like, uh, you're not going to want to because you're not going to be yourself. And he's like, well, what the heck does that mean? Oh, yeah, because he was talking about, so he is, Gamork is a creature of neither world, really, yeah. or both worlds. And when he goes into the other world, the human world, he takes on a human form. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's yeah, That's why what I want to know. What does that look like? No, I want to know what he's I'm like. like. Oh, I bet he wears a suit and a top hat. Yeah, or not. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's like a scientist that works for the Nazis but doesn't really want to, but... Maybe he just symbolizes the, op- I don't know. the oppressive regime in general. I don't Who know. knows? Pe- angry people that don't want you to have any fun. <laughs> Who knows? But <laughs> However, so he was saying, I try you, well, nobody. Yes. You don't get to go into the human world and take a human form. Nope. You get to be a lie. Which is fascinating. Yes. What will I be? Tell me the secret. For a long time, Gamork neither spoke nor moved. Atreyu was beginning to fear that the answer would never come, but at length the werewolf breathed heavily and spoke. What do you think I am, Sonny? Your friend? Take care. I'm only passing the time with you. At the moment, you can't even leave here. I hold you fast with your hope. But as I speak, the nothing is creeping in from all sides and closing around Spook City. Soon there will be no way out, and then you will be lost. If you stay and listen, your decision is already made, but you can still escape if you choose. The cruel line around Gamork's mouth deepened. Atreyu hesitated just for a moment, then he whispered, Tell me the secret. What will I be in the world of humans? Again, Gamork sank into a long silence. His breath came in convulsive gasps. Then suddenly he raised himself on his forepaws. Atreyu had to look up at him, but then, for the first time, he saw how big and terrifying the werewolf was. When Gamork spoke, his voice was like the jangling of chains. Have you seen the nothing, Sonny? Yes, many times. What does it look like? As if one were blind. That's right. And when you get to the human world, the nothing will cling to you. You will be like a contagious disease that makes humans blind, so they can no longer distinguish between reality and illusion. Do you know what you and your kind are called there? No, Atreyu whispered. Lies, Gamork barked. 
Atreus shook his head, all the blood had gone out of his lips. How can that be? Gamork was enjoying Atreus' consternation. This little talk was cheering him up. After a while, he went on. You ask me what you will be there, but what are you here? What are you creatures of Fantastica? Dreams, poetic inventions, characters in a never-ending story. Do you think you're real? Well, yes, here in you, your world you are. But when you have been through the nothing, you won't be real anymore. You will be unrecognizable. And you will be in another world. In that world, you Fantasticans won't be anything like yourselves. You will bring delusion and madness into the human world. Tell me, Sonny, what do you suppose will become of all the spook city folk who have jumped into the nothing? I... I don't know, Atreus stammered. They will become delusions in the minds of human beings, fears where there is nothing to fear, desires for vain, hurtful things, despairing thoughts where there is no reason to despair. Whoa! Whoa. Heavy. It is heavy. In, Woo! in the movie, they're just like, oh, let's just fight at the end. They don't even talk about no, any of that. None of that. He talks about like his mission. Right, which is to... To destroy the person that could yeah. save Fantasia, and he and that he wants the nothing to win, but not really, not really why. He said something about um, whoever has all of the oh something, something about, about having controlling all the power. and and whoever has the power and to I mean, control has all the power. And that like, kind of makes he sense. He wants to side with the because in the society that Michael and grew up in, they wanted to control yeah. the literature. They wanted to control what people were consuming. Right, and so that makes sense, I yeah. guess. It's a very dumbed down version. Yes. I mean, uh, it's, you know, what a manipulator is. Absolutely. Exactly. They want the control and power. So totally get that. But yes, very, very not what the book, <laughs> what the book says. And I love, I love what the book says. Me too. And they've kind of been like surrounded by the nothing now. So Atreus kind of given up a bit because he's like, well, I can't get out. So I guess I'm just going to stay here with you. Um, <laughs> the end. The end. Um Gamork does talk about, like, how, how he got to where he is, which I found kind of interesting about the Dark Princess, about how she, he came. Oh, yeah, she kind of tricked him. Yeah, she totally did. He came to Spook City because he had lost the trail of Atreyu. I don't know how he got this far. Because seemingly oh, yeah, really far away. I mean, like, you've got, he teleported, and yeah. then he went through gates. So, like, I don't even know on what plane they exist. Well, I mean... They do mention that Fantastica doesn't have, like, geography that stays the same, that things oh, yeah, move right. around. So who knows? Maybe that's why. But somehow he came here not being able to find his mission, and he meets the Dark Princess who, like, kind of lulls him in mm-hmm. and, like, treats him nicely. and Feeds him and pets yep. him. And, yep. and he, he likes it. Yeah. And she eventually, like, convinces him to tell about his mission, which he wasn't supposed to. Oops. And, of course, once... He tells her, she's like, uh, <laughs> no. I'm part of Fantastica, so I can't let you live. Yeah. So she essentially chains him and leaves. And that's why he's stuck here now, which I thought that story was very interesting. It I, was. I want to read more about Gaia the Dark Princess. I know. I want to know her story. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> At this point, when he's talking about his mission, that's when he tells him that he was sent to kill Atreyu. And Atreyu's like, oh, well. Hey, guess what? I'm Atreyu. Yeah. I'm a, I am Atreyu. Come at me, Gamorg. Yeah. Except that doesn't happen. <laughs> he tells him he's Atreyu, and the wolf laughs. Yeah. Probably like a bitter laugh. He's like, like oh, of course. Cruel world. Cruel world. <laughs> and the laugh, I guess, kills him because he's dead. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, Gamorg. Yeah. But instead of, you know, just leaving him, Atreyu, like, goes up to try to touch him, and he, like, Dumb. clamps onto his leg. 
Why would you do that? I don't know. I mean, he's dead. Well, okay, yeah. You don't need to touch him. (laughs) You don't need to go up to him. Well, they say even in death, Gamork's evil lives on because he clamps Atreya's leg and Atreya can't go anywhere, which at first you think is a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing because that's what keeps him from leaping into the nothing. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So there you go. And he needs to be pinned. He needs to be pinned to that spot (laughs) for the next chapter. Yep. And chapter 10 is called Flight to the Ivory Tower. So at the beginning of this chapter, we are back with Falcor, who has found the Orin. And as soon as he puts it on, because he's like, oh, I better put it on for safekeeping. As soon as he puts it on, it guides him straight to Atreyu. Yeah. Because they talk about how, like, this isn't the direction he wants to be flying, but he can't stop. So, you know, it's definitely guiding him. And I liked, too, when they're talking about, so the Oren fell into the ocean, and water is not good for luck dragons because they are made of fire and air. air. And yeah. water will actually extinguish them. Oh. Which I'm like, oh. I mean, it's sad. I'm like, that's really cool detail. I really like that. So he has to dive in. Grab and, it. And bubbles are coming up like he's boiling type of thing, and he grabs it, and, you know, every, it all works out. Yeah, of course. <laughs> With luck. (laughs) Everything's great. Um, So the gem guides Falcor straight to Atreyu, who, thanks to Gamork's teeth, has resisted the pull of the nothing. (laughs) And so he's still just there. Yeah. Um, The gem also frees Atreyu from the grip because it, like, touches the... It touches the... The wolf accidentally. And makes it open up and everything's great. (laughs) Voila. So he grabs onto Falcor and they fly off into the air and they get out of there. So they're heading to the ivory tower basically to tell the childlike empress. Well, Atreyu thinks it's to tell him that he failed because he's like, we didn't find the earthling, whatever, whatever. But they're going. You didn't fail. No, I know, but he doesn't know that. So they arrive and Atreyu ascends the tower and he and uh, Falcor are both like super injured at this point. Mm -hmm. Just from all the shit they've gone through. Yeah. When he reaches the top of the ivory tower, he finds the childlike empress is still alive. And this is the scene, you know, that we all know of her, like, sitting on pillows and being ethereal looking and all this kind of stuff. But. And Atreyu yelling at everything. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, But as soon as Atreyu sees the childlike empress, this is when Bastion realizes her name. Oh, yeah. This was an interesting part. It is. Bastion gave a start. Something incredible had happened. Thus far, he had been able to visualize every incident of the Nevering story. Some of them, it couldn't be denied, were very strange, but they could somehow be explained. He had formed a clear picture of Atreyu riding on the Luck Dragon, of the Labyrinth and the Ivory Tower. These pictures, however, existed only in his imagination. But when he came to the Magnolia Pavilion, He saw the face of the childlike empress, if only for a fraction of a second, for the space of a lightning flash, and not only in his thoughts, but with his eyes. It wasn't his imagination, of that Bastion was sure. He had even seen the details that were not mentioned in the description, such as her eyebrows, two fine lines that might have been drawn with India ink, arching over her golden eyes, or her strangely elongated earlobes, or the way that her head tilted on her slender neck. Bastion knew that he had never in all of his life seen anything so beautiful as this face and in that moment he knew her name Moonchild. yes without a doubt that was her name and she's looking at him yeah and he's looking at her weird 
Okay. In the book, does he does he um, reference that his mother had such a beautiful name? No. Okay. That was just not. in the movie. That okay. was just in the movie, and it's stupid. <laughs> it's really stupid. I don't know why they included that. I don't either. I guess because they never, in the movie, they never had... They didn't have a lot of parts where you were shown Bastion's connection to his mother. Exactly that. And also, um, I feel like they never went... In, in the movie, they never went into like how much naming things was a part of Bastion. Oh, yeah, they did how, like, that all. was his thing. Yeah. And no, so I guess we're supposed to imagine that the Bastion in the movie is some unimaginative kid who's just like, I'm just going to name her after my mom. <laughs> because... Because she her name was Moonchild. <laughs> yeah, but they took that. I mean, he screams Moonchild. So he does. clearly that was not the original intention. They must have changed that for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, the whole yeah. My mother had the most beautiful <laughs> name. Her name's Moonchild. Moonchild. Yeah, stupid. Anyway, that was just an addition to the stupid movie. Mm. So that's the end of that chapter. It's it's pretty pretty short. Chapter eleven is called The Childlike Empress. And what's the picture on this one? I forget. Is it her in her little glass carrier? It is, um, which is at the end of the chapter. <laughs> but yeah, that's her riding in her little glass thing with her invisible servants. And there's a fountain. Is that a fountain? I don't know. I was looking at my notes. Or maybe that's supposed to be the egg-shaped. Oh, she's also, they also call, call her the golden eyed commander, commander of wishes. wishes. Okay. That's how Atreya is supposed to address her. I guess that's her formal name. Okay. But yeah, the golden eyed commander, commander of, wishes. of wishes. So chapter 11 is called the childlike empress. Um, the empress, much to the Atreya's surprise, tells him that she, that he has succeeded in his quest. That's right. And that he has brought the savior with him. Mm-hmm. Atreya's confused and also irritated that the empress knew the whole, All, the time. whole time, everything, and he, but he's not like he gets angry, but not as angry as he gets in the movie. No, in the movie he's like screaming at her, and in this one he's just like, "Oh, sorry, I was got so angry, I didn't understand." And she's like, "Well, you couldn't have understood because this is how I intended it." Yeah, you know, she had to keep it from him. Yes, or else he wouldn't have had the quest. Exactly. So yeah, that that whole conversation happens a lot nicer than just in the movie. They sit and wait for the savior to arrive, and she's basically like. He, all he has to do is call my name. Once again, this is like the movie, except in the movie, it's like them yelling at each other. But yes. I like the way they do it in the book because it's basically just Bastion being swallowed by self-doubt. Yes, and I also like, too, that every every instance that he has where he's like, no, that can't be me. Yeah. And then Atreo will be like, well, or she'll, or the childlike empress will say, well, maybe he doesn't think it's him. Yeah. Every, every conversation that they're having, that Atreo and childlike empress are having, is... exactly what he's direct response of what bastion is thinking so it's a really i really like this back and forth part of this this chapter because it it's just proving that this entire story is all about you know bastion becoming who he needs to become or whatever and him his reluctance to do it because also there's points where he's like he's like oh it is me but do i really want this like if i do this then i'm then I have to go to Fantastica. Right. And Will I change? And then I have to deal with all the monsters. He's like, I would love to hang out with Atreyu, but I don't want to deal with Ygrimol. You know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so he's afraid and he's doubtful that it's him. And he also has like a moment where he's like, man, I'm like a fat, ugly dude. When I get there, they're going to like laugh at me. Yeah. They're going to be disappointed. You know, they're all yeah. going to laugh at you. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's actually really, it has a lot more meaning in the book than it does in the movie where it's basically just like, I can't. I, I have, have to, to keep, keep my feet, feet on the, the ground. ground. 
Yeah, and I'm like, okay, whatever, Bastion. <laughs> Call my name. But, uh, side note, I think the kid that plays Bastion is adorable. Yeah. I think he did a good job. I mean, no, I shouldn't speak ill of the dead. Which dead person are we speaking Jonathan Brandis. Oh. I, I, there were parts in the second movie where I felt like he was overacting. Like Jonathan really, Brandis was never a good actor. I think I liked him in Ladybugs. <laughs> I bet if you watch it again, you'd realize he overacts there, too. Because he always does the wide-eyed thing. My eyes are huge! Everyone, have you seen my huge eyes? For for me, like, Bastion in the first movie felt a bit more approachable. And in the second one, I was like, oh, God, get that kid. He needs to be in therapy. (laughs) He needs to be in therapy. But they also don't really... I mean, other than, like, dead mom and dad barely caring, they don't really go much into Bastion's story in the movie. It's basically just... He's there as just, like, a vehicle, whereas in the book... He is the reason yes, that this is happening. That is true. The big difference here is that while they're waiting for Bastion to come, Bastion doesn't come. Like, he's no, not. He doesn't. And so the childlike empress is like, well, um, I have a way to make him come, but I don't want to do this, uh, but I guess I'm going to do it. And this is where shit gets balls crazy. <laughs> All right. It's a bit weird. Uh, so the Empress mentions that the Savior won't appear, so she's going to go to the one person who will make him appear, which is the Old Man of Wandering Mountain. And Atreya's like, well, I've heard stories about him. Is, isn't he the one who, like, writes things down and they happen or something like that? And he doesn't really know the story. But she's like, yeah, kind of. And Atreya's like, oh, that guy doesn't exist. And he's like, yes, he does, and I'm going to find him. So she kind of goes off on, like, a mini quest. Kind of like while, a tree use. While the world is just falling apart. Yeah, but this is what she's got to do because yeah. Bastion's a turd. So, <laughs> you know. So she sends a tree off to be healed and she exits the ivory tower in a glass carriage carried by invisible servants. Mm-hmm. Because all her people have left. Yes. At this point. All her other servants have left. And she's left three with a tree and Falcor yes. to help she's got their wounds. What, they call them seven powers, yeah. right? Yes. And so whatever those seven powers are, I guess they do whatever she needs to do. And they kind of describe them as like invisible servants. Yeah. And so three of them are healing Atreyu and Falcor, and four of them are going off with her mm-hmm. to carry her up this mountain. To find this old man. Right. Which I'm like, I'm going, uh, yes, I'm going to enjoy this character. Mountain of Destiny. Yes. Uh, did you? Uh, uh, isn't that what you were expecting? I mean, it was okay. <laughs> It was okay. Well, let's talk about it. Chapter 12 is called The Old Man of Wandering Mountain. And in the in the little picture, we've got the old man, and he's writing in a book. We've got, oh, they have the little, like, ice dudes. What did they call them? What they call them? Uh, wait, it's right here. Ice glumps. Oh, yeah. They're, like, yeah, they're yeah. essentially glaciers. Yeah. Living glaciers. They they don't even know that other people exist because they don't they move so slowly. Slowly, yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny that they included them since they really are just kind of like a mention, a passing mention, you know. But anyway, so the Empress travels through the mountains until she finds the Wandering Mountain, um, which she approaches. He basically, w- the old man sees her because he lives in like a dome-like egg yes. structure and she yes. sees it so she tries to approach it he sees her out the window or something which i'm like how did, did you stop writing to look out the window i guess but whatever so she sees his face and she's like oh yeah i'm in the right place but he tries to warn her away by writing messages on a ladder as she's climbing that was so cool it is cool i wonder if there's a short part i can read i think there is like um yeah there's uh, there's a lot of it but i'm just gonna read this one part um, so she's climbing a ladder, and as she's climbing, there's words on it. 
Turn back, turn back and go away, for come what will and come what may, never in any time or place must you and I meet face to face. To you alone, O childlike one, the way is barred to you alone. Turn back, turn back, for never shall beginning seek the end of all. The consequence of your intrusion can only be extreme confusion. So is this kind of like Back to the Future where like your future self can't see your past self? Yes, it's exactly <laughs> like that, but but a little different because instead she's the beginning of the story and he's the end. Right. So this is also where the Orin comes into place because it's infinity. Yes. He's one snake, she's the other snake. Yes. So, and I will, we'll explain how he's the end of the story. Okay. Hang on. So there's that. So this is why he's like, no, nah, the end can't meet the beginning, blah, 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 blah. So when she finally arrives in the egg, she sees a book hovering in midair. It's titled The Neverending Story. It looks exactly like the one that Bastion's holding, and he notices, and he's mm -hmm. like, well... It's, it's, this is the book, Dur. It's like, how many, how many more do you need? <laughs> what else do you need, kid? I think kid? he knows at this point he's just afraid. Yeah. The man in robes is writing in the book. Mm -hmm. And he writes down everything as it happens. The childlike empress has a request that she feels will save them all. She demands that the old man tell her the never-ending story from the beginning. So he's writing, like, as they're having this conversation, she's seeing him writing what they're saying. He doesn't speak. Right. It's everything is just, like, in the text that she's reading. Yes. Um, and so she's like, I need you to tell me the Nevering story from the beginning. So so he's like, no, I can't do that. No, I, I can't. She's like, no, but you must, because here you go. You this must This is the only it. way to get him here. Yeah. And so at this point, as a reader, I'm kind of like, what? How? Like, how is, it go well, how is this going to save us? He does it. His hand is trembling. He's not happy about it. Meanwhile, Bastion, on the other side, is hearing the words that he's writing in his head. He's not just reading it. What? Yes. That's what it says. What? Because basically... I don't remember that part. Well, <laughs> hang on. Let me see if I can find it. Let me see. As he wrote, his deep, dark voice resounded. Bastion, too, heard it quite, he quite clearly. Yet he did not understand the first words the old man said. They sounded like scooped Strange, Bastion thought. Why is the old man suddenly talking a foreign language? Or was it some sort of magic spell? The old man's voice went on and Bastion couldn't help listening. Man, I totally didn't catch that. Well, it gets worse later. So so as uh, the old man is starting the never-ending story from the beginning, at first Bastion's like, oh, well, this isn't my story because this isn't how I read it. But it is his story because right. it's starting from chapter zero. Right. And that those, like, magic spell words are the, like, the, the description, the the glass, blah, 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 the Carl title of Conrad the book. Conrad Coriander's old books as seen. But written backwards yes. because, yeah. So the never-ending story is actually starting from chapter zero where we started it, where yes. Bastion goes into the story store and you know gets the nevering story so when he first starts reading he's like kind of disappointed because he's like oh this isn't my story so maybe it wasn't me after all but then obviously as it starts going he realizes undeniably that it is him mm -hmm. and this is where he starts to freak out and he says uh the deep dark voice of the old man of wandering mountain went on and there was nothing bastion could do about it he held his hands over his ears but it was no use because the voice came from within inside him he tried desperately to tell himself, though he knew it wasn't true, that the resemblance of his own story was some crazy accident. So he's hearing it. He can't stop it. So you would think, like, 
he could just walk away from the book, but at this point, he can't. Because he, I feel like at this point, he's halfway between his world and theirs. Yeah. Wow. I totally... You totally, I totally missed that? Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. I was <laughs> because just you were it. skimming Bastion's No, parts. no, because I was reading it as him just like reading the story. I'm like, oh yeah, no, he's reading he's, the story. He's hearing it. I didn't even... He nope. stops reading and it's just still, still going. Basically what's happening now is the old man wandering mountain reads the story of the Nevering story to Bastion. And I'm guessing Bastion just sits there through the entire story as it's being read to him. And then it starts over because they're in an endless loop. Right. Because now the story as it is now ends with the childlike Empress asking him to read read it. Yeah. And so now Bastion's stuck in this endless loop where they're just going to keep reading it over and over and over until he decides to stop it. Because otherwise you'd probably go crazy. crazy. Yes. And so I kind of find this fascinating that it wasn't just... You know, Bastion being like, oh, yeah, I can name things. I'm going to do this. And, like, doing it. He is literally forced to do it. Yeah. Like, he has no control of anything that's happening to him, which I find a little bit more interesting than the way they just did it in the movie where it's just like he he calls her name into the wind and there you go. Child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, much. no, that is, that is actually more fascinating and a, a different turn as far as, like, you know, with the hero's journeys, there comes to a point where, like, you accept it. You accept the call and you do it. And he still he has a hard time accepting yeah. it. He so, doesn't want to do it. No, because he's not he's really a hero. He's being forced to. Yeah, he's literally being forced to. At that point, the story began all over again, unchanged and unchangeable, and ended once again with the meeting between the childlike empress and the old man of Wandering Mountain, who began once again to write and tell the Neverending story. And so it would go on forever and ever, for any change in the sequence of events was unthinkable. Only he, Bastion, could do anything about it, and he would have to do something, or else he would be included in the circle. It seemed to him that this story had been repeated a thousand times, as though there were no before and after, and everything had happened at once. Now he realized why the old man's hand trembled. The circle of eternal return was an end without an end. Bastion was unaware of the tears that were running down his cheeks. Close to fainting, he suddenly cried out, Moonchild, I'm coming! And in that moment, several things happened at once. The shell of the great egg was dashed to pieces by some overwhelming power. The rumbling of thunder was heard, and then the storm wind came roaring from afar. It blew the pages of the book that Bastion was holding on his knees, and the pages began to flutter wildly. Bastion felt the wind in his hair and his face. He could scarcely breathe. The candle flames in the seven armed candelabras danced, wavered, and lay flat. Then another, still more violent wind blew into the book, and the candles went out. The clock in the belfry struck twelve. Dong! Dong! And that's where we're stopping. Okay. So he's, I'm assuming being, he has teleported to. Well, yeah, because I feel like the wind, the wind going into the book is him going in. Okay. Because they're talking about the wind going into the book and he's going with it. All right. And so where the movie ends, I think after this, you see like them in a dark room and. She's got a grit. The last grain of sand of Fantasia. And the more wishes you make, the more fantastic Fantasia will be. I like the way you said it because that's exactly how she says more. I watched it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly I mean, it. She's she's adorable. She was a great actress. She I loved was her. great. She's oh, so she beautiful. So good. And and the first thing uh, Bastion does is ride Falcor to scare his bullies away at the end. And you know, when I was watching <laughs> the movie, you can hear 
other people screaming in terror. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, you're terrorizing your town. Exactly. Just for these three bullies. Which is dumb. And uh, I could see why Michael End hated the movie. And I think you two um, also brought up a point. It's like, there's no way that, well, I guess if it's a wish, but like fan- Fantasian creatures can't go. Can't go. Yeah. So why would Falkor be allowed to because go? Because the whole... I mean, we're going to get more into the wishes in the second half, but yeah, that's that entire ending was stupid in the movie. I could see it being good for a kid's movie. Yeah. But triumph cons- over the bullies, finally. Right. Considering what we know now about the book and its purpose, it makes 100% sense why he didn't like it. Yeah. Because the entire purpose of his book was washed away. Absolutely. And just made into a silly... Silly, t- silly kids. Well, book. you know, I I grew up loving it. I did too. I remember watching it as an adult and being kind of like, "Ooh, that didn't age well." But I'll tell you, after I read the book and watched it again, I enjoyed the movie be- better. I enjoyed the movie more yeah. than than the first part yeah, I think because the only I knew reason- like I knew the behind the stuff. I'm like, "Oh yeah, I understand why they're trying to do that." And yeah. You know. I feel like I can appreciate the movie a lot more now because a lot of people say that it doesn't age well, but I don't feel that way because it means you know so the much story behind more it to too. me. Yeah. yeah, and there are a lot of like the visuals in the movie are great. I feel like they described the characters and showed them really well. I mean, other than the booby sphinxes, <laughs> yeah. uh, things look pretty nice. Yeah, you know, and I got to see a lot of the characters that I read about come to life, and that's nice. Yeah, um, and it does make a good story, even if they took every ounce of meaning away from it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know now you guys know the meaning yeah oh my gosh my brain i'm like looking at my notes too um there were parts of what i read that kind of left me wanting more and maybe that was just his like um i guess when he would talk about some of the places that they pass and he would spend time talking about something, but then he'd never come back to yeah, it. Yeah, that's you're just like that Amazon guy. Okay, but I'm not super who's, mad about who's it. He's like, what? <laughs> Why would they even bring this up if they're not going to tell us about it? Because I'm not super mad about it, but I those was are all like, their stories. I'm like, was that important? Was it just part of the world building? Was it something I that feel like in the first half of the book, the world that we're seeing is everybody's stories. It's um. All of the stories of all creation, all the mythologies of all the cultures, every story you've ever heard takes place in that part of the book. So you're seeing glimpses of all of this stuff to illustrate the fact that that this world is made up of every story ever created. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he, sh- he mentioned so many things to show that, but obviously he can't go into all of them. Right. And it does, like, when you hear, like, an interesting story, you're like, oh, I want to know more about that place. But, yeah. you know. Sorry. You got You got to go read other myths and legends and stuff like that. Whereas in the second half of the book, everything that we see is all Bastion's imagination. It's the story he's creating. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it's going to be like. Okay. And, you know, this was a perfect place for us to stop because this is when he goes in. And then as soon as he goes in, Fantastic is a totally different place. Okay. And yeah, um, I brought up again that I wasn't satisfied with the gates. I wanted more with the gates. Yeah. I felt like uh, they were perfect, perfect opportunity to bring in some rich metaphors about the human psyche. And it was just based, I just felt like Atreyu was like walking through a he threshold. Was. He just was. walking through McDonald's or whatever, yep. you know, in and out, done, boom. It, it was a little disappointing that there wasn't more like danger and like adventure in that part of it, but... I guess I guess that's just not 
Oh, yeah, not no. what he intended. And then I put, I guess this would be one of my essays or thesis, the study of portals in popular culture. Because I'm thinking like Alice Through the Looking Glass or even just the phone booth or a revolving door for Superman. Yeah. It's just, they're portals. Why can't you spend more time on the portals? But these aren't really like those portals because they're they're not portals. They're just... They don't take you somewhere? No, they don't. But, but, the, but the magic mirror gate does take you... It's... From what I gathered, it was an internal journey. Sure. I That's felt like you somewhere. I mean they I feel like the gates are more just like more like security for the for the <laughs> Southern Oracle. Okay. Like not anyone can Tests. get to me. Not necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's more just like a do you have the wherewithal to deserve to speak to Uyulala? But but the first gate's not really gonna matter because we don't know that it's based on anything. But it but <gasps> it could be. That's it could be I'll, only people, that's what I'll rage only people about on that Amazon. are on a human quest. <laughs> or none of those other people actually really existed, Emma. <laughs> They're the devices of the story tell to me make that. you feel like there's no, danger. I'm angry now. I'm getting on Amazon right now. <laughs> 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 Talking about these gates. Uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like everything that Michael End has written has a purpose. I feel like he doesn't put anything no, in just for the sake of putting it in. I agree. He's really a good writer. He is. And I, I never felt like anything was superfluous, even even if we only get like an instant glimpse of it and never see it again. Like I feel like he deliberately put descriptions of places in to show us the richness of the world of imagination. You know, uh, I did like one thing they talked about in Spook City about how Gamork tells them that like, Surely you've heard of this place. More stories have been told about this place than any other place. Because I guess every scary story comes mm-hmm. from there. I, I don't know if it's true that That's interesting. more scary stories exist than other stories. But ghost stories are abundant. Yeah. And so I guess all ghost stories come from Spook City. Yeah, I wonder if different areas have. Probably. Huh. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to look up more things about this as far as, like, essays people have written and the research that they've done. But I was uh, I was afraid it was going to be too spoilery. So Yeah, probably. You probably want to wait it. until the end yeah. uh, to do that because the, the one that I mentioned at the beginning, Story Colored Glasses, does talk about Bastion's journey, too. Because at this point in the book, you can – it could have ended here. The book could have ended here. And yeah. it still would have been a great book. The second half of the book, which I'm worried that you're not going to like as much because it's all new and not familiar to you, but it kind of takes what we've seen and makes the overarching message something totally different. Huh. Um, Because right now it's all all about what, like, the death of imagination and how you can't let it die. die. You must fight it. You must fight it and keep your imagination alive. But then all, all the stuff secondary about, like, Bastion losing his memories, which does happen. Like, it happens in the second movie, and it does happen here, too, but for a totally different reason. So I guess we'll save the uh, the, the culmination of our philosophical discussions oh for then. But we had plenty today. Oh, yeah. No, it. my brain is, like, fried. And, <laughs> and I don't even feel like we really got that deep into it. We yeah. were just kind of talking, talking about surface the stuff. plot points and stuff. So is y- the second oh, you the can second tell me part of it is... It's the same Just length. Just big. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like a 400-page book. Whew. You could tell me honestly. How do you feel about it so far? I like it. I mean, you don't have to love it like I love it. I, I probably won't love it like no. you love it. Well, no, I mean, I've got like childhood yeah, detachment to it. But, yeah. but um, a lot of people that I've recommended it to 
say they can't get through it. And really? Yeah. And I wonder Even why. Even with the first part? Yeah. No, I can get through it. These these are the books that I liked reading when I was younger. Absolutely. I do enjoy it. I don't know why. It's just the gates. The, the, damn gates. <laughs> the damn gates. Give me more of those gates, please. We'll talk more about Neverending Story next week because we're going to read the second half, which to most of you will probably be completely new because most people have only seen the movie, haven't seen, haven't read the books. Mm -hmm. And the second movie does pretty much nothing. It takes like one chapter, maybe two, and turns it into the entire movie. Really? Yes. I mean, I knew that, I mean, you obviously have a tattoo of a lion on your arm from the book so i knew yeah. he wasn't in the movie right but i mean it takes like chapters? bits and pieces from other chapters too like the silver city is there um and the seeing hand is there and him losing his memory is there we seeing just watched this movie. i know i'm like what's it's the, the big hand, hand tower that uh oh, Zaide lives in. yeah and the silver city that's where all those people are just like dancing silent, yeah. dancing with their hands yeah thing? Okay. okay pretty much okay it's there, but it's different. So it t- basically, the second movie took like bits and pieces from the book and made their own story out of it, which is, you know. Hollywood. Yeah, but not as good as the story we're about to read. Okay. So I'm looking we're forward do to that. it. Yeah. No, so far I enjoy it. Good. I'm just sorry. My brain is so mushy right now. No. Hopefully <laughs> next week, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and be able to. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> To learn more about us and see what we're going to read next, visit our website at growingupbookish.com. 